Good morning. Um, thanks for coming. I see you weren't put off by the title, or maybe that's what brought you here. Husbands, parents, in-laws, and other timeless Jewish problems. Um, it's actually a pretty risky topic for me to talk about since my mother and my mother-in-law are both here. So hopefully I will have, um, well, I have my own house, but a place to <laughs> go afterwards. Um, what I'd like to do today is explore um, a is to take a look at these issues, but in a specific context. Um, I'd like to explore the complicated character of Michal Bat Shaul, Michal, the daughter of King Saul, um, and her marriage to David HaMelech, her father's most bitter rival, who ultimately succeeds him as the next king instead of his own children. Um, David and Michal certainly suffered more than most people from conflicts with parents, spouses, and in-laws. Um, Today, we'll examine Michal, her character, her commitment, and her ideology, and how she negotiates her divided loyalties. Um, all of our information about Michal, can I hold this? It works? Okay. All of our information about Michal is described in a little over 30 psukim in Sefer Shmuel, in about six different places. So what we'll do is we'll look at these six cases and try to come up with a cohesive picture of who she was. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. First place where Michal is introduced is in source one, which is Shmuel Aleph, Perak Yudalit. Take a look, it's one Pasuk. Um, this is at the end, the conclusion, the beginning of Sefer Shmuel, Shmuel Aleph is devoted to the story of Shaul, and then in the middle, David is introduced. The end of, of the second half of Shmuel Aleph is all the conflicts. Starting by the beginning of Shmuel Batch, David is already the king. So here, this is towards the end of the Shaul narratives. So you have a summary of Shaul's family. So here's the introduction of Michal. Bayu b'nei Shaul, Yonatan v'yishvi v'malkishua, v'shem shtei b'notav, shem ha'bechira me'rav, v'shem ha'ktana Michal. So here we're introduced to Shaul's children, and after it mentions his sons, we, get, we hear about his two daughters, which already is kind of unusual. We have lots of lists of sons in Tanakh, not so many daughters. Um, and here we have the name of the older one, was Meirab, and the name of the younger one was Michal. So they're singled out, certainly because they play a very important role, which we'll see very quickly. Um, now, this Pasuk should remind you also of another Pasuk. What does it remind you of? Who just call it out? Who does it remind you of? Right, okay, good. Also, well, Lavan's children also are called in this way, right, the wives of Yaakov, Rachel and Leah, when they're called, they're also called the older one was Leah, and the younger one was Rachel. So we're going to come back to that. There's... It's deliberate. Okay, so let's move on to, um, to the second source. In the second source, the plot thickens. Okay, take a look, Shmuel Aleph Parak And this really, I mean, there couldn't be, it's a soap opera. I mean, you can't, you don't need to watch TV to get these stories. It's all right here. Okay, Shmuel Aleph Parak Try telling that to your children again. Um, okay, Shmuel Aleph Parak Yudchet. Vayomer Sha'ul al-David. Hinei biti hagdola merav. So let me just give you a little background. In the interim from our last source, David has emerged as a prominent figure. He's killed Goliath, he's the harp player in Shaul's house, and Shaul perceives already that David is a threat. And he knows and he sees that he's going down. Remember, he has that ruach ra, that evil spirit that's kind of overtaking him. And as his problems get stronger, David just keeps building up. And he becomes paranoid about David um, becoming the next king. He suspects already that this is going to happen. And in the earlier part of Paragudchet, David, Shaul actually tries to kill David two times. Ironically, as David is playing the harp to help Shaul overcome his Ruach Ra, remember David, Shaul throws the spear at him and twice tries to kill him. Okay, now this is the second part. Shaul decides that he's not, it's not going to work that way. Let's be a little bit more subtle. So here's his next plan. His next plan is, let me get him to marry my daughter. And if he marries my daughter, then I'll be able, through that, I'll kill him. How? So through, through by making it a condition of war, meaning you can marry my daughter if you do this. If you are victorious in all these wars, then you'll get my daughter. But by being victorious in these wars, it means you have to be in the front line a lot of times. And David's life is risked over and over again. So what happens? So first he offers his daughter Merav. David al Shaul, So who am I that I can be the son-in-law of the king? 
So something happened. It was about the time when Meirab, the older daughter, was supposed to marry David. Somehow she married someone else. It's somewhat unclear. The Parshanim debate. It was her initiative. It was it Shell's initiative? But somehow this marriage doesn't play out. Okay, but then what happens? Stage two, which is our focus. Pasachah. But to have Michal bat Shaul at David. Okay, but Michal loved David. And just, I'll note here that this is the only instance in all of Tanakh where it says that a woman loved a man. With the exception of Shir Hashirim, right, where the Ra'ayah loves the Dod, but that's not someone specific. That's a general story which may or may not be true. Um, so here, this is our only historical figure who said that she loved a man. That doesn't mean that women didn't love men in Tanakh. Of course they did, but here the information is very important and relevant for us. This was told to Shaul, and it was good in his eyes. Why? So Shaul says, I'll give her to him, and then she'll be for him a snare. That way the Plishtim will kill him. Marry me through my second daughter. So Shaul says, you know what, I better make this happen. I don't want David bringing up this argument again, who am I to be worthy? Let me get my servants to secretly help me and convince David that he should actually marry, that he's worthy to marry the king. So this happens. Again, he says, I'm not worthy. So they report back to King Shaul. And then Shaul says, So Shaul says, I, I don't need any you know, big dowry. All I need is Meah or Lod HaPlishtim, like the 100 foreskins of Plishtim, meaning that you show me that you killed 100 Plishtim. But what he was thinking was, that he would die through the hands of the Plishtim. So originally, I'm just saying, is that the same language? Just noticing this now as we're talking. Yeah, the same language in Pasachaf. Originally, this idea was Vayashar Hadavar Be'enav. It was right in Shaul's eyes. Now, this marriage becomes right in David's eyes as well. Lehitchatein Bamelach, to marry the king. Velo Malu Hayamim. He did it even before the time. So, what happened? Vayakam David, Vayalechu Vanshav, Vayach Beplishtim Matayim Ish. He killed 200 people. Vayavei David Arlotehem, Vayimaluum Lamelach Lehitchatein Bamelach. So, it was time for him to marry the king. Vayitein Lo Shaul Michal Bitol Isha. And he actually marries her. Okay, let's pause there for a minute and point out a few things. Um, so, one second. Okay, let's look at the three key characters here and try to figure out what their thoughts and motivations are. Now, in Tanakh, sometimes we're told that, sometimes we're not. This source is actually, I think, unusually revealing about what the people's emotions are. But let's go through them. So, first of all, Michal. As you pointed out, Michal loves David. Um, and this is already unusual. Um, and the truth is, everybody loves David. The word Ahab comes up a lot of times in this story because Shaul's whole family is falling for David. Yonatan, his, uh, his son, loves David. The people love David. David is beloved. So here he's beloved by Shaul's own daughter. Okay, what about Shaul? Now his motivations are clear here as well. Michal will be a snare for him. Now how is she going to do How is that going to happen? In one of two ways. Either through war or... Once they're married, then he has this like opening. You know, he can use Michal as a way to get to him, which he does try to do afterwards. So in some way, Michal is going to be for a mokesh. There's going to be a way to trip him up. Now, what about David? So in contrast to the rest of them, David's feelings are unclear. We know the marriage is yashar be'enav, but why doesn't tell us. So we really have two possibilities. Right? One possibility is that she loves him. He loves her. Just as she loves him, he also loves her. And actually, Rashi, I think, supports this view. If you take a look at, I think, the last two sources on the source sheet, source 17 and source 18. Okay, so this is a source, give you a little background. This is a source in Shmuel Bet, <clears throat> okay, where it talks about the sons of David. 
right? And it lists his wives. So in Pasuk, if you look at Shmuel Bet Gimel, Pasuk Hey, Hashishi, right, his sixth son, Yitzra'im Le'egla Eshet David. So this was his son who was born to Egla Eshet David. Okay, so Eli Yaldu David Bechevron. These were the children born in Bechevron. Now who is she? We don't know who she is. So what Rashi says here, you see where in the Rashi right underneath, at um, source 18, Le'egla Zo Michal. This is Michal. Why? that she was beloved to him. Um, and that's a quote from, from the story of Shimshon. That if you had, um, if what Shimshon says, when, when he, they understand his riddle, he says, to, she, he says to them, if you hadn't messed with my wife, who he calls Egla, then you wouldn't have, I know that's the only way you could have found out my riddle. Now remember, Delilah was beloved to Shimshon. So Rashi learns from this that the fact that this is referring to Michal shows that Michal was also beloved to David. Okay, so this is one, one approach, that by Yishara Devar Ve'inav, David loved Michal. Okay, but secondly, but I think that's not necessarily, the text certainly leaves it open. Um, you can certainly say also that by Yishara Devar Ve'inav, was motivated by political motivations. David also sees his rise. He was anointed secretly already by Shmuel. He knows that he is going to be the next king. How exactly is this going to play out? How is he going to gain the support of the nation who right now is behind Shaul? What better way than to marry Shaul's daughter? That would just make the transition smooth. So possibly there are political motivations here also. And I think in some ways you can also find that in the language of the text. Right, what's what's Michal called here? After her name, what does it say? Okay, this term, by the way, this is called a relational epithet. What it is is it's a noun that describes a person, and it's really superfluous because we already know the relationship of that person. So uh, just take a look here. You'll see it in the other sources. Michal is called here Michal Bat Shaul. She's called the daughter of Shaul. We already know that Michal is the daughter of Shaul. Why does that need to stress it again here? So what I'm suggesting here is it needs to be stressed to tell you why was this so important? Why did this marriage, why was this marriage meaningful to everybody? Why was it meaningful to Shaul? Why was it meaningful to David? Here he is, he's going to marry the daughter of Shaul. So that's that defining term, which we don't need to know, underscores the political motivations for this marriage. Something else that comes up here, um, also Shaul, I'm sorry, when Shaul's t- spoken about here, he's also called the king. Right? This is a marriage that's involving two political rivals, and Shaul is definitely in his position here. Um, and then the third thing I think is that, I think it says four times, or even five, the words, to marry the king. Now, of course, he's not marrying the king, he's marrying the daughter of the king. But shows that by marrying the king, by marrying the daughter of the king, he's really aligned himself with the king. There's actually another example of that where it says to marry, that someone married the king, when of course he didn't marry the king. Who's the, do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so this is the other case is with um, Shlomo, right? It says, who did Shlomo marry? Some of you learned this with me, but I'm not going <laughs> to single you out. Um, Shlomo marries. Melch Mitzrayim. I'm, I'm sorry, not Shaul, that's why I missed Shlomo married Melch Mitzrayim. He didn't marry the king of Mitzrayim, but he married the daughter of the king of Mitzrayim in order to ally himself there. So the, the, the details in the text also point to the fact that this marriage may have been motivated not on Michal's end, but for maybe Shaul and David as a political marriage. Now, at the end of this unit, Shaul starts to realize his mistake. So if you take a look at the last three psukim, that's um, Chavchet, Chavten, and Lamed. So, Vayar Sha'ol Vayeda Ki Hashem in David. So he realized that Hashem is with David. Umichal Bat Sha'ol Ahev Tu. That Michal also loves David. Vayasof Sha'ol Larom Ipnei David Od. Vayhi Sha'ol Oyevet David Kol Hayamin. And they become enemies until the end of their days. Now, again, this, this, that Michal, this point that Michal loves Shaul, um, Michal loves David, was, is, is superfluous in a way also. We know this already. So two of the commentaries discuss this, and I think they bring out the point again that this is really a strategic marriage on Shaul's end um, that backfired. 
But take a look at source. Let's see what it is. Take a look at source three. Okay, we're going to look at source three and source four. Okay, so this is the Radak. So the Radak says, Michal loved, Michal loved David. And therefore, Shaul continued to fear from him, from David, for two reasons. Number one, um, he realized that Hashem was with him by everything that happened. And even Michal, his own daughter, loves him. And he won't be able to kill him through her hands because she's on his team. So it's even worse now. If he's talking in his house about how he plans to bring David down, all of a sudden there's a spy. Because Michal is on the other team. Okay, and the Rabbah brings this out, I think, even stronger. Um, this whole situation showed even more how David is so successful. And it's inevitable that he's going to become the next king. So even the daughter who knows that her, husband, that her father hates this man, she also falls in love with him. What bigger insult could this be? You know, when the own, her own, his own family member falls in love with his enemy. And he continues to say, And then David also realizes that now, Abshaul realizes now, if he kills David, he's going to be hurting his own daughter. So that may even, that makes it not as clear to him that that's the right approach. And then third, So this is similar to what the Radak said. Now she also will be able to tell David her father's secrets. And then David, um, and then Shaul won't be successful in actually killing David. So the, um, Shaul realizes that while he initially thought that this would be helpful for him, um, this is in the end what's going, this will in the end trip him up in his plan to kill David. Now, in fact, Shaul's fears play out in the next mention of Michal. So let's take a look at the next source where Michal is mentioned. And now we come to the peak of their relationship in Parakyut Tet. So this is source five, Parakyut Tet with Allah through Yedzayim. Okay, so Shaul starts to move on his plans. So Shaul sends... Um, his messengers to the house of David to watch over him, so that in the morning, when he comes out, they'll kill him. And Michal finds out, tells David, if you don't escape now, tomorrow you're dead. So Michal herself helps him out of the window. So we have three quick verbs. He goes down, he runs away, and he escapes. So what does Michal do? Michal Batasem el hamita. So she takes this sort of, um, it's it's like a lifelike form. It's a physical image, and she puts them. Which sometimes it's used in the context of avodah Sometimes, before some debate that here, pro- probably not. Maybe something just decorative in the home. But she takes sort of like a dummy and puts it under his bed, so it looks like he's sleeping there. That kavir ha'izim samami roshotav, and she actually takes um, goat hair and puts it where his head would be, so it looked like there's hair. Um, and when the king says, well, he's sick. Shaul's not happy with that. He says, bring me the bed. I'll kill him. So the servants come and they remove the blanket and they see, what is this? Just a dummy and goat hairs. So Shaul turns to his daughter, and this is really his suspicions in the source before played out. How could you have deceived me? Look what you did. You sent off my enemy, and he escaped. So Michal lies here and says, I had to send him away because he told me if I didn't send him, he would kill me. 
do you want me to, did you want me to allow myself to be killed by him? So here, this is really the peak of Michal and David's relationship. Here, she clearly chooses a side. They come in conflict again, in direct conflict, and Michal chooses to protect her husband. Now, this is again played out. Remember last source, Michal was called Michal Batshaul. What she called in this source? Okay, she's called here Michal Ishto. Here, she's his wife. So her loyalty has, has switched. Now she's chosen her husband over her father. Now this is, this is brought out in all the Midrashim about this source. Um, actually, the Chazal say that David composed here Mizmor um, Nuntet, that in honor, in, in, I shouldn't say really in, in honor of Michal, but also in, about this event, what, he, what his experiences were like when he knew that Shaul was waiting outside to kill him. Um, so in the, in the Midrashim on the Mizmor of Tehillim, they discuss Michal's personality and her commitment here. So take a look at source number six. We'll look at two of these sources. Um, source number six, they bring down the Pasuk, Matza Isha Matza Tov, right? If you find a woman, you find good. So who is this? Zo Michal Bat This is Michal Bat Sha'ayta ohevet David ba'ala yoter me'aviha. She loved David even more than she loved her father. Um, that she sent, that she saved his life over her father. Ematai, when did she do this? So it was the time when he's David Shaul sent people to kill David, and that's why David said this mizmor of Tehillim, And it comes out again, if you look at source number eight, let's skip source number seven. Um, Okay, so that's a verse from that, that's the beginning of that Mizmor of Tehillim. So it says, okay, This is an example of two are better than one. Why? It's better when two people love somebody than one. So these were the two children of Shaul, Michal and her brother, Yehonatan. That Michal, the daughter of Shaul, loved him, loved David. That Yonatan loved David um, like his own self. Michal saved David from the house, meaning she let him out from the window. And Yehonatan outside. And that's actually the next incident that happened during when David, Yehonatan meets um, David tells Yonatan about Shaul's plot to kill him. And at first, Yonatan doesn't believe it. They plan this whole scam with um, Rosh Chodesh, see how he responds. In the end, Yonatan gives David a secret signal to escape. So both of Shaul's children ally themselves with David and allow him to escape from their father. And just imagine the pain of that also for Shaul. You know, whether deserved or undeserved, just the pain of both of his children going over to his enemy. Okay, now, the th- the ne- I just want to bring out another point about this source. Now, this source, we mentioned before that the way that Michal is introduced is parallel to the way that Rachel is introduced. And here, too, the parallels between Rachel and Michal come out again. Okay, now, so to, in order to look at that, let's just take a look for a minute at Bereshit, um Well, let's look for a minute at Bereshit Chavtet, that's source number nine. Okay, and this is now we're going to talk a little bit about Rachel and see how the story of Michal echoes the story of Rachel. Okay, so here are the sources. Pasuk Tedvav, Vayomer Lavan Yaakov, okay, Hachi Achiata, I'm your brother, Vatani Chinam, Hagida Lima Miskarte. So this is when Yaakov first runs away to Lavan's house, and Lavan says, I want you to work for me, but, and he says, but I don't want you to work for free, so tell me what you want. And then the text says, Lavan Shtebanot, Lavan had two daughters, Shem Hagdola Leah, Shem Hagtana Rachel. So exactly parallel to what Michal and Meirav are introduced. Okay, next source, um, next Pasuk Chav Hey, skipped a little bit. We're going to just see the, to bring, I'm bringing out the parallel language here. Vayhiba Boker, Vihinehu Leah. So this brings up the incident, right? Yaakov first works for seven years. He thinks he's working for Rachel. Then he wakes up in the morning. All of a sudden, Yaakov didn't give me, Lavan didn't give me um, Rachel. He actually gave me her older sister Leah. Vayomer El Lavan, Mazo Dasitali. Yaakov said to Lavan, what did you do to me? Halobu Rachel Abayatimcha. I worked for Rachel, the Lama Ramitani, and why did you deceive me? And so the Rumiyah was said also by um, 
by this, it was said by Shaul to Michal. Remember, Lama Ramitani, why did you deceive me when you helped my enemy escape from me? It's another literary parallel. Okay, we're going to see a few more. Then Bereshit Perak Lamed Aleph, we're fast forwarding a little bit to when um, Lavan decides, um, Lavan has abused Yaakov all these years, and now Yaakov decides enough is enough. And he takes his daughters and his children and the sheep that he's earned, and he runs away. So what happens? Pasuk Yudalid. So first, Lavan, um, first after Lavan's abuse, Yaakov has a talk with his with um, his wives and says, "What are you going to do?" Because they also have they have this conflict between their father and their husband. So who are you going to choose? Are you going to come with me? or are you going to stay with your father? So Vata'an Rachel That's Pasuk Yudalid. Vatomarnalo. And they said to Yaakov, "Ha'odlanu chelak benachla bevet avinu." Do we have a place in our father's house? Halo nachu yot so they're perceptive. They realize our father only uses us. He doesn't love us. We don't have a place in his house. Once he's used us for all that he can, there's no relationship left. Um, so they go on. They go on to say, we're, "We're with you. We're not going to stay here in Lavan's house. Do whatever you want to do." So what? Yud Zayin. I'm skipping a passage. So he packs everyone up to go. So Yaakov gets ready to, to leave. He leaves with his all his children. And Lavan went to shear the sheep. So there's that trafim mentioned again. Rachel stole the trafim that belonged to her father. Now in this context, the trafim are certainly Abu Dazara. Now, not literally here, but Yaakov also stole the heart of Lavan by not telling him that he was running away. Okay, so now Yaakov is running away with Rachel and Leah. Lavan doesn't know, and Rachel has secretly taken the trafim, which her husband Yaakov doesn't know, which leads to a very tragic event. Okay, so we're going to fast forward a little bit to Pasuk Lamed. Okay, Lavan chases after... Yaakov finally meets up with him and he says, first he gives him a whole angry speech about how could you do this, how could you run away? And then he says, not only did you run away, but you also took my truffin. And remember, of course, that Yaakov doesn't know that Rachel took the truffin. So that sounds like a false accusation to him. Okay, so take a look at Pasuk Lamed. This is Lavan speaking. So even if you were lonely for your father's house and you felt like you had to run away, why did you have to take my gods? Why did you take my trephim? So the reason I ran away is because I thought you would actually steal your children back from me. But what about the trephim? The trephim, Yaakov has no idea. You know, he thinks Lavan is just bringing something else up. So he says, so Yaakov swears, whoever took those trafim will die. And go look through all my things. If you find them, whoever took them is guilty. And of course, the Pasuk adds, Yaakov had no idea that Rachel took them. So what happens? He didn't find anything. He left Leah's tent. Now he comes into Rachel's tent. But Rachel had taken the trafim. And she put them on the camel and she was sitting on them. So he looked through the whole tent. He didn't find it. But Rachel says to her father, I'm sick, I can't get up. So, you know, you look through the tent, but I'm sorry, I can't get up. Now, of course, by sitting, she's hiding that she actually has the trafim. And he looked and he didn't find it. Now, after he leaves, Yaakov turns to Lavan and says, you see, I told you no one took the trafim. And then that leads him into this whole angry speech about, look, I've done so much for you. Why are you always so suspicious of me? And in his claim... If you look at Pasuk, um, I don't think I included this on your source sheet, but in Pasuk Lamechet, he says, Ze esrim shana anochi imach, the 20 years that I worked for you, rachalecha ve'izecha lo sikelu, that your, um, all your sheep um, and your goats never miscarried. And he goes on to have this angry speech, and ultimately love and leave. Now, unfortunately, right afterwards, Rachel dies. You know, as um, 
and get, while giving birth to Binyamin, but the clear implication is also what Tzadik speaks and his words come true. Now, the literary parallels are, I mean, there are so many, just to give um, a few selections here. Um, firstly, of course, the, the Trafin, right? Both of them use the Trafin in order to defy their fathers. Um, also, the reference to illness, right? Rachel said that, um, Rachel said she was sick, so Laban couldn't look for them. And Michal said that David was sick, so they couldn't look for David. Um, also, the goat reference, right? Michal used the goat, and um, Yaakov also refers repeatedly, goats keep coming up here, the goat hair. So there's, the, it's, it is not, you know, just random. Clearly, the implication of when you're reading Shmuel is you're supposed to think back to the story of Lavan and Rachel and Yaakov. So why? What are the implications of this comparison? So of course, the most obvious one is that um, both are cases of divided loyalties between a father and a husband, where the woman in the middle aligns herself clearly against the father and with the husband. But aside from that, actually, a friend of mine, Rivka Khan, pointed this out to me, that she assumed that um, this event, right, when we read about Michal, it's a very positive event, right? This is like her, the peak of her relationship with David. She chooses David, um, and she sides with him against her father. And it's a very, we feel like just very positive about their whole relationship. While the story about Rachel, when she steals the truffle, is a very tragic one. It's the case where ultimately she ends up being decreed to death and dies right afterwards. So possibly, even though this, our incident right here is very positive, the incident of Michal, by referring back to the negative incident in Sefer Bereshis, it's a foreshadow that although it's positive now, things are going to start to unravel very soon. And though Michal is not decreed to death, her fate is tragic as well. And that's where we'll get into now. The rest of the story is mostly tragic sources about Michal. So what happens next? Okay, so we'll take a look. Take a look at um, source. Let's see where we are. Okay, we'll take a look at the next source where um, David is on the run. Now, just in, no, in in context, David now, once he leaves out of Michal's window, he can't go back home. So he's on the run from Shaul. Um, and while he's on the run, lots is going on for him. He's saving people. He's fighting wars. He's marrying women. And what's going on with Michal? Okay, so take a look at, let's see where we are now. Okay, take a look at source number 11. Okay, now here's just a summary of what's going on for, da- for David. Membet Batimaher, this is the whole story of David and Abigail. In Pasuk Membet, it talks about David marrying Abigail. Pasuk Mem Gimov et Achinoam Lakach David Mi Yisrael, Batiana Gamshtehem Lovinashim. So David marries two new women. What's going on with Michal in the meantime? We have one Pasuk, Pasuk Mem Dalid. So while this is going on, and Michal is left in her home, Shaul doesn't leave it at that. Shaul takes Michal and gives her to another man, Palti ben Laish. Now, of course, this whole incident is also halakhically questionable. If she's married to one man, how can she be with another man? And if they were married, how could she go back to David? I'll leave that aside for now. The, the spectrum in the Parshanim is huge, from ranging from everyone did everything right to everybody did everything wrong. But let's just look at the implications of, of what happened here. Um, first of all, note again what Michal is called. So here, Michal is called by both terms. She's called Michal Bito, and then Michal Eshet David. So there's almost like a transition here. In the first source, she was Bat Shaul. At the second source, she was Ishto. She was the wife of David. Now she's both. She stands really conflicted between these two people. And her life is taking a course that is being decided by the fact that she is the daughter of Shaul and that she is married to David. So in a political move, right, Shaul takes her away from the man that she loves and marries her to somebody else. So she stands torn between both, and I think that's what the text is bringing out here. Now, what's Shaul's motive? So Shaul's motive here clearly seems to be political. He wants to delegitimize the fact that David is married um, to his daughter, because that legitimizes him for kingship. But as the text says, she still is Michal Bito Eshet David. It's too late. People already associate David as married to the daughter of Shaul. Um, Now, what about Michal's feelings? Unlike before, we have no idea what she's feeling. Um, there's no vata'ahav, or we don't hear about her sadness or her pain. But clearly, clearly, um, 
we can guess how she felt after being passed around like this, or what she feels about the man that her father suddenly imposes on her. Okay, so we'll, we'll leave that hanging for a little bit. Okay, we'll move on to the next source. Um, in source number 12, that's the next time, the next time we hear about David and Michal, Dov, uh, next time we hear about Michal, David is getting her back. Okay, so just the background, um, David spent two years on the run from Shaul. After Shaul's death, David ruled for seven years over Yehuda and Hebron. Now, at the same time, Shaul's son, Ishbosheth, was, ru- was ruling over the other tribes, and Shaul's um, general was supporting Ishbosheth, that's Abner. So now, Abner decides that he doesn't want to support Ishbosheth anymore, and he, just, he goes to David and says, David, I want to support you, and by supporting you, I'll be able to bring everybody, um, I'll be able to bring the other tribes to you. You won't rule over only one tribe. Okay, so what happens? Now, and David suggests an interesting condition. So take a look at source number 12. So Abner says to David, if you, make a, if you make a brit with me, if you make a deal with me, I'll be able to give you all the other tribes. You won't have to rule over only Yehuda, you'll rule over everybody. By Yomer, David says, Tov, but I'm ask, I ask for one thing for you. But the only way that I'll meet with you is if you first give me back Michal Bat Shaul. So by Ishlach David Melachim al Ishbosheth ben Shaul Emor, Tanad Ishti et Michal, Asher Arasti li b'meya orlo plishtim. Give me back my wife, the one who I earned through the hundred orlot of the plishtim. So by Ishlach Ishbosheth li kachecha meish meim paltiel ben Laish. So Ishbosheth takes her from Palti ben Laish and sends her back. And here's Pasuk Tadzayin, which is a very poignant Pasuk. By Yelech ita isha, and her husband followed her. As she went, he walked with her. He was walking and crying as she went back to David. Until they got there. All of a sudden, Abner, the general, turns him and says, Go home. And he returns. So we have this little snippet about Palti ben Laish, one Pasuk about him. Um, so why, why now? All of a sudden, nine years passed, and all of a sudden, David remembers Michal. What's going on here? So... Here again, the implications seem to be, and it's possible, you can say that he didn't have opportunity to get her before, but what the implications seem to be is that David realizes that now he's on the brink of getting everyone back. Again, Michal will be part of his legitimacy. It'll only be easier for the other tribes to come back with him if he's married to the daughter of Shaul. And the Parshanim, I think, underscore this as well. Um, if you take a look at the Rabag there on Source 13, um, so first of all, David has a strategic reason for wanting Michal. She's going to be the secret giver again. Just like she saved him before from the window, now, she can save him again by telling him if Avner's up to something tricky. Secondly, This will also be, bring honor to David if she's brought back. While Shaul is still ruling, if he gets Michal, again, he's marrying the daughter of the king. If he marries her later, after Beit Shaul is already totally delegitimized, this will not be an honor for, for David. So David wants to marry her also while the house of Shaul is still in power because it gives him that extra cover that here he is, he's marrying the daughter of the king. So it, the, the Parshanim bring out that the motivation was certainly at least partly strategic. If I have Michal back again, this brings me honor and this brings me legitimacy. So Michal, Michal comes back. Um, and I think that, again, what they're called, right, what each of them is called, shows that again. Michal, when David wants Michal, he turns to Abner and says, give me back Michal bat Shaul. I want to marry the daughter of Shaul again. But when he talks to Ishboshet, he says, give me back my wife. She belongs to me. I earned her with the Meya Orlot Plishtim. And then Palti, the only person who's called, you know, with almost a, like that sort of loving connection is Palti ben Laish, who's actually called her husband. So 
there's each of them, each time that the relational epithet is used, it brings out another facet of the relationship. Now, what about Palti ben Laish? What was their relationship like? Again, we have only one pasuk to tell us about it. I just want to read you a quote from, um, from Robert Alter. He wrote a commentary on Shmuel called The David Story. So he writes, there's scarcely a more striking instance of the evocative compactness of biblical narrative. We know almost nothing about Paltiel. He speaks not a word of dialogue, yet his walking after Michal, weeping all the way, intimates a devoted love that stands in contrast to David's relationship to her. Paltiel is a man whose fate is imposed on him. Michal was given to him by Shaul, evidently without his initiative. He came to love her. Now he must give her up. And confronted by David's strongmen, with the peremptory order to go back, he has no choice but to go back. So similar to Michal, Palti also has no control over his own fate. And he's sent back, after walking, weeping with Michal, he's also sent back. So another sort of tragic piece of the whole David and Shaul conflict. Okay, now the, the last time we meet, the last time we meet Michal is in her own tragic source. And I see, I forgot to include this on the source sheet. So this will, will we're gonna close with this source. But um, I'll read it to you because unless you have, if you have a Tanakh, it's Shmuel Bet Perik Vav, starting Pasuk Yudalit. If not, um, um, I'll read it. So this is the case. Now, David, after, once he ascends to the kingship, everything goes great. You know, he's victorious at war. He's close to Hashem. He's really successful in every way. Now, he realizes after he conquers Yushalayim, it's time to bring the Aron back to Yushalayim. Remember, the Aron has been for 50 years kind of just hanging out in Kiryat Yarin. He says, it belongs back in Yerushalayim. So David decides to go and get back um, the Aram. So what happens? Pasuk um, I'll read and, and explain. The David Mecharker Bechol Oz. David was dancing, you know, with all his might, Lifnei Hashem, before Hashem. The David Chagor Bad. He was wearing some kind of like a loose tunic. The David Cholbi Israel Ma'alimet Aron Hashem Shofar. There was this beautiful, you know, the, the, the horns were blowing and the whole nation was dancing. And Michal, while this is all happening outside, we switch back inside David's house. And inside David's house, Michal Bat is watching from the window. And she sees David leaping and whirling before Hashem. And she scorns him in her heart. And what happens? Then Pasuk Yudzayin and Yudchet continue with David's majestic and beautiful celebration. And all the time, we're supposed to be keeping in the back of our heads Michal, that image of David, you know, outside with all the people dancing, and Michal standing behind the window watching. And then what happens? David comes home. Vayashav David David returns to bless his house. And you can imagine his mood is, of course, you know, euphoric. Vatete Michal bat Shaul David. And Michal bat Shaul goes out to greet him. Batomer, Manif Bad Hayom Melech Israel, Asher Nigla Hayom Leene Amahut Avadav, Gigalot Niglot Achad Harekim. So he says, sarcastically, look how honored the king of Israel is today that he revealed himself like, 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 the, like a servant and like the way that an empty person would reveal himself. Now she may be referring also to the fact that he was wearing the ephod and when he was dancing, possibly more of his body was revealed than Michal felt comfortable with. So she comes out angrily in a sarcastic tone. What were you doing? And David responds, Vayomer David al Michal. And no, this is their only conversation that we have. Of, I mean, there, must, there were many more conversations. This is the only time we have a conversation between David and Michal. Before, Michal spoke, but we don't have a response. This is their conversation. Vayomer David al Michal. Lifnei Hashem asher bachar bi me'avicha umikol beito. I was doing it before Hashem, who chose me over your father. And from all his house, and I was a cho- I was chosen as the leader of Israel. And I was dancing before Hashem. And I would lower myself even more than this. And I would be even lower. Um, and about those slave girls that you spoke about, Imam With them, I'll be honored. And then and Michal, the daughter of Shaul, did not have any children until the day of her death. So we have sort of this, a lot happening in a short source, but this conversation between Michal and David, and a very angry conversation, and ultimately Michal's fate um, not to have any children. What's going, so what's going on here? Um, now, first, 
note, as we always, as, as we always do, um, what's everybody called here? So David here is called Melech David because Michal is evaluating him in the sense of who is he as a king. But Michal this time is always called one thing, Michal Bat Shaul. This time, instead of allying herself with David, she's chosen to ally herself um, with Shaul. Um, and this and it, this brings out sort of her shift, right? We had that transition where she was kind of in between, and now she's come out again on Shaul's side. So what happened? How did we get from the source where she let him out from the window, right? Notice also the image of the window, right? And when she was, she let him out, when he ran away, she let him out from the window. And now, here she is, she's back at the window. But instead of staving him through the window, she's scorning him through the window. So what happened? How did all this change? So there's a lot of ways you could approach this question, but certainly emotionally, a lot has changed. Michal has really suffered. And all the time, while David was becoming victorious and winning wars and continuing on with his life, she was married to Paldi ben Laish. She finally developed a relationship with him and then she was torn away from him. So Michal has certainly suffered all through this. Um, but on the other hand, what, there seems to be more underlying here. It's not just the pain of everything that's happened, but her ideology is coming out. And what, what's the problem here? What's, the, why is this, what's this rift between the way Michal feels and between the way David feels. So um, the Gemara Yerushalmi talks about this, and this is source 14. Um, the Gemara says, what did Michal say? I'm starting not at the beginning. I'm starting where it says, Amra. Do you see, it must be probably in like the second line. Amra hayom niklek kavod beit abba. Okay, if you don't have it, I'll just, I'll read and, and you could, you know, you'll catch it. It's um, source 14. Amra, she said, hayom niklek kavod beit abba. Amru alav al beit Shaul. Shalom near Abahem. Lo ekev v'lo goldel memehem. So it was said about Beit Shaul that they were so tzanua, they were so modest, that they would never unnecessarily show a heel or even like a finger. Hadahu dichtiv. So how do we know this? So this is the Gemara making, uh, the Gemara is darshaning a pasuk. It says, Vayavo el gidrot zon, asher al haderech, v'sham ma'ara. So it's, we learn this from the incident of the cave. Remember when David was chased, when Shaul was chasing after David, David found him in a cave. And what was he doing in that cave? He was going to the bathroom. Okay, so what happened? Rabbi Avon b'shem Rabbi Lazer, geder lifnim, geder lifnim geder. Okay, so they're darshaning the word gidrot. That how did he do it? It was like within all these protections. How was it? Shaul raglav. Shaul went to go to the bathroom. So the way that he went to the bathroom was by removing, a, by folding up a small amount of clothing and then revealing something. Removing a small amount of clothing and then revealing something. So even the way that he privately went to the bathroom was in a way that he didn't want to reveal too much. This is obviously in direct contrast to the way Michal is perceiving David now, dancing and revealing himself. Amar David, at that time, when David saw Shaul in the cave and he had the opportunity to kill him, Hayach min hazin gufat sadikya. How could I how could I ever kill the tzaddik? Hadahido de Amarle, Hineha Yom Hazer, Uenechatashir Natan Khayom Bide Bidebara. So he said that's why he ultimately didn't kill David in the in the cave. So Michal, this is a difference, it's not just a difference, not just anger at her fate, you know, at what's happened to her, but also a difference in ideology. The house of Shaul was defined by their modesty. And we say not just modesty, but dignity. The way that a man presents himself is important, the way that he's perceived. And this is certainly a Torah value. Um, but Michal felt that here's David, watching him here, said, you should have learned a lesson from my father. He was so dignified. And look at you. Look how you are dancing. Now, what's David's response? Okay, and this is going to be our last source, source number 15. Um, I'm also skipping to the middle, where it says, Amralo. This is what Michal said to um, Michal. This is... Um, I'm sorry, this is, this is Michal's statement and, and David's response. Amralo, Malchut shel Beit Ava haita chashuva mishalcha. My father's house was more important than yours. Chalila shi'irela achad me'am pisat yado, pisat rego megula. Kamosh negleita atahayom. They would never reveal anything unnecessary the way you did. Darkan shamalachim la'asokin. And that is the way a king should be. V'levai lefnei matrana achat asita kain. Not only did you not do it in front of important people, you did it in front of slave girls. You were dancing without inhibition and you revealed yourself. So this is what David said to her. The house of your father would leave aside the honor of God, and they were involved with their own kavod. 
ואני מניח כבוד עצמי ומתעסק בכבוד שמיים. But what I do is I put my own כבוד on the side and I'm involved in the כבוד of God. ויותר מזה אני חייב לעשות לפני קוני. And I'm obligated to do even more than that for my master. ואיני כדאי לשמוח בשמחתו and not even worthy of all this. שנאמר ונקלוטי עוד מזאת. I would lower myself more than this. והייתי שפל בעיניי and I would be lower in their eyes. ואותן שאת קוראי אותן אמהות and the people that you call slave girls If only I should, my, my lot should be with them in Olam Haba. So this contrast that comes out is not simply a contrast of difficult circumstances, but it's also a contrast of ideology. The house of Beit Shaul was concerned with dignity, was concerned with the way that the king was perceived, and this is certainly an important value. But David's response is, dignity is important, but when it comes into conflict, with the service of God, the service of God has to come before the dignity. Now, interestingly, if you reflect back on the reasons that Sha'ol lost the Malufa, there are two incidents that are mentioned where it says that Sha'ol lost, that the Malufa was lost. Right, um, Amalek, and also when he brought the Korban too early. Right, so twice, he brought, one time Shmuel told him to wait till he came to bring the Korban, Dabu brought the Korban too early. Now remember, when Shmuel comes, And he says to Shaul, why did you bring the Korban? I told you to wait. He says, well, the, I needed to give the people morale. Like the war, we were in the middle of a war. And the people were saying, where's the Korban? So I had to bring it. So the way that he was perceived in the eyes of the people overrided the direct sivoy from Hashem. And again, the same thing happened with Amalek. Shaul was given the command to kill Amalek and to kill all the animals. He doesn't do it. When Shmuel comes and he says, why did this happen? He said, well, the people were saying, let's use the, you know, let's use the goats for korbanot and, and don't kill Agag. So he said, well, I, how could I have fought the people? So in Shaul's eyes, while the dignity of the king is so important, if it came in conflict with a command of God, he didn't have the strength to go along with that. So what David turns to Michal and says very harshly, though, is that shita, that hashkafa, that ideology was not chosen. God chose my type of malucha. God chose a king from somebody who would be able to withstand the pressure of the people and who realized that dignifying Hashem is the most important mandate of a king and not dignifying oneself. And this can help us understand verse 23 also, where Michal decreed not to have any more children. A child of Michal and David would have been the natural heir to the king. So what the, is te- what the text is telling us here is that This child couldn't happen because the malufa, the kingship, had to be with somebody who followed the ideology of David. Someone who saw that when dignity of a person and dignity of God came in conflict, dignity of God always has to come first. Um, so just to, to conclude, um, today we looked at the life of Michal Bachaul, which is really only about 30 psukim in the text, um, including her strategic marriage to David, her heroic act of letting David out through the window, Her subsequent marriage to Palti ben Laish and her return to David, right, both choices that were made for her, not by her, and ultimately her angry confrontation with David. Now, while Michal starts out committed and emotionally tied to David and stands by him against her father, ultimately she separated from him, both emotionally and ideologically. Now, Torah val- the Torah values both man's dignity as well as commitment to God, but certainly for the king, and I would say even... Um, For ourselves, and this becomes a whole halakh topic as well, um, finding the balance between man's dignity and God's dignity can sometimes be difficult. It's hard to negotiate that balance. But the message of David, and ultimately the choice of David over Michal, who represents in the end Beit Shaul, is that the first priority is evaluating what is true service to God. So hopefully the life of this um, somewhat tragic figure can help illuminate some of um, the context of the political wars of David and Shaul and also bring some relevant messages about our own service to God. Thank you.